Anybody have a copy of the uh, scripture that we got up on the front row here? Big order. Well, yeah, we're going to fit on one side of the page.
church and its various epistles and, and other epistles of the church. And certainly, uh, in the book of Acts, we can learn about what uh, God's disposition toward the church. We get valuable insight by reading the book of Acts. But above all, I believe, the first three chapters of Revelation uh, is, is invaluable. And the first three chapters are pretty much exclusively second, third, the first chapter is kind of an introduction to the first, to the second chapter, and third chapter, pretty much exclusively what Jesus thinks about the church and what Jesus would have to say to the church. He, quote, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That stated, that particular verse is stated seven times in the second and third chapters of Revelation. Now many people stay away from the book of Revelation because it's, it's, it's so full of strange imagery uh, and we certainly hear of these bizarre and fanciful uh, interpretations but it, it is written for our benefit in fact uh, we are promised to be blessed by the reading and the studying of this if you see right here now reading the, the third verse blessed is he who reads aloud the words of, this prophecy, of the prophecy and those who hear and keep what is written therein so we are blessed that we will be blessed by a study of, of what's in Revelation. How will we, will, will we be blessed by focusing specifically on what Jesus thinks about the church, what Jesus has to say uh, to the church? Well, one thing, when we are oppressed and we are when we are threatened from hostile forces outside of the church, then what we will find, I think, is a source of tremendous comfort and a source of tremendous hope. But where the church is in error, and where the church is, as within its ranks, heresy and bad teaching, then I think what we will find, what Jesus has to say, that will shame us. And hopefully it will shame us into repentance uh, and into eventually to help if his words are taken to heart. So my focus in, in, this, in this little uh, three-part series is not only on where the church went wrong, it continues to go wrong, but what we can learn from Jesus to give us perseverance and and the, what we need to move forward in ministry. There's a little book out, by the way, uh, the title of the little book is What Christ Thinks of the Church, and it is written by John Stott. That book is now out of print. Unfortunately, but for those of you who get your hand on the copy, uh, it's, it's a book that you might enjoy. What Jesus thinks of the church, how to print John Stott. Uh, and that little book has really uh, motivated me to, to have this series and has jump started me for this series. And I've, uh, I've enjoyed working through that little book. So, today, what I want to do today is basically work through, work through this first chapter. Uh, ever so briefly, because as I said, this serves as kind of introduction, and part of introduction to the second and the third chapters of Revelation, where Jesus actually uh, will address the various churches. So in a sense, this is going to prepare us now uh, for what is to follow. And uh, who has, you have a little handheld mic there? Who has it? Yeah, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, why don't we go through it once? I think we have time this morning. Let's go through it uh, fairly quickly, and then I'll, I'll go back through it. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, to his servant John, 
bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. Blessed are those who keep who hear and who keep what is written therein. For the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is said to who, who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, everyone who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstand was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden girdle around his breast. And his head and his hair were white, white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, mine was in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Now write what you see, what is his, what is to take place hereafter. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands of the seven churches. God. <clears throat> so this angel now is sent to, to John uh, in the first verse to his servant John. Who is this John? I guess that's one of the first questions I always get asked. Is this the same John who is the apostle? Is the same John that we read in church in the Gospel of John and the epistles? But he's classified uh, as a prophet here because this fact this whole book uh, is a prophecy. And he identifies himself uh, as, as John. But he, nowhere in this book will he actually call himself an apostle. In fact, in, in, later on, much later on in the book in 24, 21st chapter, he refers to the 12 apostles of the Lamb, but he doesn't refer to himself as being one of those who belong to that group. Now, traditionally, this John has indeed uh, been identified as the apostle, the son of Zebedee, we find in the Gospels. And if you go, if you're in the church history, if you go into early church history, 
you'll see it's just about unanimous that all the early church fathers referred to uh, John as, as this John as the apostle. I think people like Justin Martyr, if you're in the church history, Justin Martyr was uh, in the year about 100. Then there's uh, uh, Irenaeus, uh, the, the famous uh, uh, early early Christian author, and then there's Clement of Alexandria, and then just a little bit later, uh, maybe 50 years later, but just beginning of the second century, there's, there is a Tertullian uh, who was uh, this prolific uh, Christian writer, but all of those guys just about unanimously identified this John as being the, uh, the John of the Apostles. Some people object to that, and the reason they object to it primarily, above all else, is because his Greek uh, is, is different from the Greek that you will find in the Gospels where the other, where the other John uh, was, wrote, uh, was written. In fact, there's one style named R.H. Charles, in the church history, you know these names, but uh, no big deal. Uh, he, he said, quote, uh, the, the Greek in Revelation is unlike any Greek that was ever penned by mortal man. Okay, but, so that's quite a statement. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not thoroughly convincing to a lot of scholars because they said, hey, if you and John choose under these circumstances, your Greek would be altered too. Because the guy was in exile for one thing, uh, and then secondly, he, he says himself, uh, in verse 10 of our reading here, he was in the spirit. At any rate, point being, traditional authors, very first century, right on up to the present time, uh, have to do attribute this to uh, uh, John the Apostle. Uh, and, and by the way, there are some dissimilarities in here, but there also are some similarities that the scholars much smaller than I that point out. But you know, it really doesn't matter uh, to me personally whether this is uh, John the Apostle, Son of Zebedee, or not, uh, as far as its authority is concerned to the church today. Uh, it's in the canon, it's in the Bible, and the, and the earliest Christians uh, considered it to be uh, within the canon of the Bible. So to me, it really, it really doesn't make that big a difference. Uh, we don't know who, who wrote Hebrews. But certainly Hebrews is, is one of the most influential epistles that we have in the entire Bible. Uh, so uh, the same here. The letter was written clearly during a, during a period of persecution. Uh, it was begun by the emperor. The emperor, uh, uh, during the first 100 years of Christianity, it started with Nero, Nero and it got even worse uh, in some cases. Nero was fierce, but it was isolated. And then some of the other emperors, the second emperor, I forgot his name, what's the name, anybody know, Domitian, uh, anyway, his, his was more widespread, but not quite as severe, but, but, but these guys, these emperors would call themselves Savior, Lord, uh, uh, Augusta, or, or, or even God, and they would build, they built these uh, monuments to themselves, these, these statues of, of their own, in their own likeness, and, and to show allegiance to the emperor that they would require that you would uh, bow down and you would, you would with, uh, and, and, and offer even offered sacrifices uh, as evidence of their allegiance to him. But Christians, of course, resisted. We're talking about uh, here in the Nuttainer world, the Roman province of Asia, uh, and so that they they suffered a, a pretty severe persecution. A persecution. Uh, and uh, this uh, John is a, is addressing that situation in this strange and wonderful book, and where he will stress the lordship of Christ, the sovereignty of Christ. And above all, perhaps the promise that hey, he's coming again, and when he comes, uh, the, the, the all the difference in the world, when he comes, he's going to straighten this mess out. 
that's a little bit kind of what we find in Revelation. People stay away from it, but it's actually full of hope. Full review, no question about it, but it's also a full of hope. Verse 2, so this angel says, For witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus. Blessed who, who reads this, uh, uh, the prophecy, and those who keep what is written for the time is near. Verse 4, John to the seven churches in Asia. Just a little bit of information about these seven churches that we'll be looking at uh, next Sunday that we'll begin to look at. There were obviously more than seven churches uh, in, in and around the Mediterranean world at the time this book was written. But these are the, these are the chosen ones, uh, and these sevens were located on the western seaboard of what we now call Turkey. Uh, and, uh, and they're listed here. So we got, we've got Ephesus, uh, and we have Smyrna. Isn't that Smyrna, Georgia? Yeah, Smyrna, Georgia. Is it Pergamum? Anybody know? Anybody? Is it Pergamum, Alabama? Pergamum <laughs> there. I see it somewhere. Theatara. Uh, uh, Theatira, by the way, was where Lydia was from. Anybody remember? Theatira was where it was just for dye, uh, and, and, and especially the purple dye, for which the Roman Empire, uh, it was highly, highly valuable, this purple dye. And Lydia, if you remember, Lydia was Theatira, and she traveled one day uh, in, into the uh, to Philippi, uh, and guess who was there? Paul was there. And so she was a uh, she was a Gentile who was converted to Judaism, but she was in in, in uh, Philippi, uh, and Paul was there, and he and Timothy went down the river to, to preach. He didn't just come back. And Lydia was there, and she and she, and she heard Paul preach, and she was converted, and she was considered to be the first Gentile convert. That was Lydia, and that's the name of my boat. I got a little uh, a little uh, a sea boat. Anyway, that is Lydia. That's all in the town. <laughs> anyway, and then also we have uh, a Sardis. Did I say something wrong? Uh, and then the Philadelphia. Uh, and then finally, uh, Laodicea. Now, uh, he writes, this is later uh, in the third chapter, he writes to the church of Laodicea, I know your works. In fact, each one of these churches, he said, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know exactly what's going on. Now listen to what I have to say to you. That's what he will say to each of these seven churches. But I particularly uh, have talked more about the church of Laodicea probably than any other uh, in, in my ministry because that's when he says those famous words. He said, I, I know your works. Uh, you're neither hot nor cold. Wouldn't would, would you were hot or cold? Uh, because, you say, because you say that I am rich, I am prosper, I need nothing, not knowing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Remember that one? So I, I just kind of, that one has always meant a lot to me. You say you're rich, you say you're doing just fine, but let me tell you, if you're not, you're pitiful, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, uh, and uh, you're naked. There was, uh, and I know your works, they're lukewarm. Wish they were hot, I wish they were cold, but not lukewarm. I had a youth director once uh, that the old practice encouraged me to tell, to remind you of, so I had a youth director uh, that I hired uh, back in Newport, and it was his first, it, it, First week at the job, uh, we sent him upstairs, uh, and I said, "Here, here's a bucket of paint. Fix that room up however you want to." Uh, and and he did. And he rolled up on the on the wings, not the wings, but what's the uh, the dental uh, the crown molding? It was a big blank, beautiful crown molding. So he writes uh, all the way around. He writes the scripture from Jesus' words to Leo the Sins. He writes, 
to this is probably this is the first thing that youth would see when you come in for DYC. Uh, he, he, he writes to them. Uh, he's, uh, he says, "I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were hot or cold, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold. I will spit you out of my mouth." Yes, it's true. Uh, and that was written in our rooms. The first thing I, I, I kids would see when, when they walked in. And so, uh, you know, he said, well, I'm done. He came down and showed me. And so uh, the associate director and I went up to see him. We looked at him and said, I, I said, I said to Jeff, the guy was with me, I said, Jeff, what do you think? He said, you've got to take it down. That's just all it took. <laughs> you know, he said, it's not, it's not true. It's in the Bible, but, you know, for you. And he said, well, what do you want me to put up, you director? I said, why don't you put into uh, come up to me, all you in travail and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Say something like that. But that's just a little too hard. Well, at any rate, these are, these are seven churches, and we'll be going over these seven churches. Now, commentators have taken a note uh, of the number seven. This seven is the significant <coughs> number uh, in the book of Revelation. Seven is a symbol of wholeness. Seven, seven is, a, is a symbol of completeness, uh, representing the whole. So we're dealing with seven churches at a certain time and a certain place in history. Uh, but but the, the number seven suggests that what we're dealing with is not just these seven, but the, the whole church, the complete church for all ages. And so uh, as we read this, uh, these words of encouragement, also warning, uh, admonition, uh, and exhortation. These are words to these specific churches for that particular time and place, but they also express concern for the church uh, in all ages. By grace to you, he goes on, peace from God is all that is and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and frees us from our sins by his blood and makes the kingdom of priests. So when Jesus is introduced here, we have these three very impressive lists of, of, of these titles, three titles. And, and then he also adds a statement of what he's accomplished uh, and what, and what uh, it is to come. Uh, the first, he is a faithful witness. Uh, throughout John's gospel, Jesus is a witness. In, in, in uh, the 18th chapter of John, uh, he's, Jesus said, Jesus has come to bear witness to the truth. So he is the faithful witness. Next, he is called the firstborn of the dead. You know, Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, too. You could say that. There are others who were who came back from the dead, but but, but these guys went on to die. Lazarus was, was, was resurrected, uh, was resuscitated, maybe we should say. But of course, Lazarus went on to die, but not so for Jesus. Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, and he continues to live. So he's the first, that's why he's called the firstborn of the dead. And then finally, he's the ruler of the kings on earth. Ultimately, Jesus is the king. Uh, uh, he he uh, governs all affairs uh, and the destinies of nations. Earthly kings, they come and they go. Uh, they go back to dust, uh, but not, not Jesus. His, his kingdom and his dominion is forever. What did Jesus do for us? Uh, it says that he is loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. That's just a, that's a capsule of what Jesus has done. What did Jesus do when he came from earth? In a capsule, there it is. He loves and feeds from my sins by his blood. It's a pretty good, pretty good capsule right there for you. That, that's, that's what he did. That's what he accomplished. That's why he came, and that's what he did. 
Uh, he made us a kingdom of priests that God has called. And then he goes off into this doxology uh, to him, the glory of the nation forever uh, and ever. After this comes a piece of eager looking forward to the coming of the Lord. It says, John thinks of him coming here, as you see, as with the cloud. Behold, verse 7, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Everyone who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So, the point being there, the eyes that now view Jesus with contempt when he comes again will then view him with terror. And I love Johnny Cash's song there, if you've ever heard it. And the hairs on their arms will stand up. And clouds often mention the Old Testament in, in conjunction with divine activity. The psalmist, for example, talks about uh, the Lord making uh, uh, the clouds his chariot. I love that. And Isaiah talks about God riding a swift cloud into Egypt. That's uh, chapter 19, verse 1, in case you think I'm making that up. <laughs> uh, so this is really, you know, it's so easy to read this and not get wrapped up. It's just, just, this is an amazing vision that John has here. And in verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and the Omega, of course, is the first and the last letter of the alphabet. And again, what this symbolizes is completeness and wholeness. God is before all things, and God is behind all things, and he outlasts all things. Verse 9, John, your brother, I, John, who shared with you in Jesus' tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance, was on the island of Patmos on the town of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. So John wasn't visiting Patmos. So a lot of us have visited Patmos. Who has visited Patmos? Half a dozen people have visited Patmos. It's quite, it's quite uh, an interesting trip there. Uh, John was not visiting. He, he was he was on exile on the island. Uh, this is uh, it's off the west coast of Asia Minor. Uh, it's probably as I said, it's probably the second century uh, persecution uh, where where these Christians, because of the demand uh, the that they worship the emperor, uh, the man uh, was that they would offer sacrifices bow down. They didn't. And so these Christians, they were insulted. Uh, those who were business owners, they had um, terrible boycotts of their businesses where they just simply couldn't stay in business and until some of them completely lost their lives. Verse 10, I was in the spirit of the Lord today. This was on Sunday. I would think by now Sunday had replaced the Sabbath as the Lord said to Christians. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. But whatever it's worth, there, the trumpets are mentioned in Revelation more than any other book in the entire Bible. Uh, and they are most always associated with last things. In other words, things may appear to be hopeless, but, but guess who's coming? That's what this is. And he's coming with a hundred billion angels singing, and to quote again, uh, Johnny Cash. And this trumpet, the trumpets uh, uh, were introduced in the Word. It says, write what you see in a book. And send to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So we're getting ready here for what Jesus has got to say to the church. And we're going to be looking at this the next two Sundays. We need to hear what Jesus for the church. We need to hear what Jesus thinks of the church, not just in the first century, 
churches globally today and also even and perhaps especially to the Advent. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I saw seven lampstands. Now the Im imagery here again is intended to be symbolic. The seven lampstands stood for the seven churches, and each had no doubt had a lighted lamp. Now why would the church uh, be uh, symbolized by a lighted lamp? What do you think that? Why, why a lighted lamp at the church? Huh? Yes, exactly. Because Jesus, remember, he said, ye are the light of the world. Uh, and uh, and so that's what the churches are for. We are the light in a dark world. Not because the church manufactures its own light, but because it reflects the light of God. Like who was out early this morning? Well, I, I you know, like I get up at four. But one of the things that, that, that really uh, struck me this morning as I went outside was was like uh, Cat Stevens' moonshot. Moonshot. It was such a beautiful, bright moon this morning. A little bit hazy sky, but the brightness of the moon was such that uh, it was a clear moonshot. Uh, but see, the moon, the moon obviously doesn't have a light. All it's doing is reflecting the sun's light. Uh, and, 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 and in a special sense, that's exactly what the churches do. It has no light of its own, but it reflects uh, the light of God and the hope that God gives us. Uh, and then that light, in turn, uh, gives the earth uh, its light and shines in the darkness. Verse 13. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed, clothed in a long robe, and with a golden girdle around his, vest, around his breast. Imagine this, uh, this image. Jesus standing in the middle of his churches and the robe going down to his feet. Uh, when the robe goes down to his feet, the Bible is all, always a mark of uh, personal distinction. And that's why the clergy and acolytes shouldn't wear robes that go down below the knee. It needs to go down uh, to, the, to, to the shoes, I believe. Uh, our salvation is not a mistake, believe it. In, in fact, uh, some of you guys are tall. You know, didn't have a hard time finding one long enough. But one hour is possible. What I'm going to do is I rode to go down. Mike Dennison, you have to go down like that again. <laughs> so uh, anyway, it can be it, 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 long roads and mark of a great distinction. But, but this vision is so incredible here. And and his head uh, on his hair was white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And they say, well, gosh, his Greek is awful. Maybe it's not John. Look, your Greek would order too when you see this. And he says, write this down. You look at this image. Gosh, you know, you don't like that you use those right. No, I sure don't. And he says, uh, <laughs> up, right? uh, God's hair in Daniel, the great image in Daniel is God's hair was white as wool. White, of course, conveys the idea of, of purity, wisdom, dignity. So why in the world would man want to use uh, a Grecian form? I don't know. White is, a, white is a sign of, of um, dignity. I don't feel bad for people that have dark hair. <laughs> this is a great blessing for me to say. I can just hold on to it. <laughs> now, white, now, wool is not always white, but if you ever notice, when you get wool, it is white. It's really, really white. And, and of course, this is reinforced by saying it's white. Wool is white as snow. And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. This is, of course, the imagery 
of, of, of purity. And his voice was like a sound of many waters. Think of Niagara Falls. This is God speaking here. And, and, and Ezekiel's great image of the voice of God is his voice, quote, his voice was like the sound of rushing water. Uh, and, and we need to think there the sound of something like Niagara Falls. It's a thunderous sound here. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And we learn in verse 20 later on that these are the angels of the seven churches. He held seven stars, and from his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like this sun shining full strength. And get this. In the epistle of Hebrews, we had that great image of the Word of God being a two-edged sword. So the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, forcing to, piercing to the vision and soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then it goes on to say that the, the, his face was like a shining sun. That came from his mouth. And his, uh, anybody ever Look, try to look on a bright noonday. Look, how long can you look at the sun? I mean, that, this is what John is looking at. And so, it's just unbelievable imagery. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, and I picked up my guitar and started playing. This, surely, the, this is the, surely the Lord is in. The, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. That's what he said. I looked at this and I picked up my car and I forgot to show you the presence. The Lord is in this place. No. No, he didn't say that at all. He fell as if he were dead. And then what did Jesus do? 17b, he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living and the dead. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death, the keys of death and hell. You know what the most common commandment in the entire New Testament is? Fear not. That is the most common commandment in the Bible, bar none. Fear not. Every time you in, in, in the New Testament, most of the time when people are afraid, they fall down, you'll hear right after that. Fear not. Beginning with the Christmas angel. You know, the Lord will bring you news of great joy, and the, the voice says, Fear not. Fear not, for the whole will you news of great joy. So, uh, and, then, and then he says, Now, write what you see, what is and what is to take place. Can't you just see John saying, Somebody give me a pen here. Give me a pen and a scroll. Quick. <laughs> because he's going to do exactly what he's told to do. That's called the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands and the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are all the seven churches. We're not told what the stars represent. We, we, we are told, excuse me, that they are the angels of the church, but we are not told who these angels are. And this is one thing that from the first century right up, no one seems to really know who these angels are. Anytime you see angel in, in New Testament, it, it mean, angel means messenger of God. So who are these messengers? Is this some kind of guardian angel that each church has? I don't know, you know, like I say, Advent, guardian angel. I'm not sure what, uh, but if it's a messenger of God, I just do, do not know. But at any rate, we, we, we'll not worry about that. We don't worry about something we don't know. We're going to concentrate on what we do know. And that is what we're going to learn here. 
next couple of Sundays is what Jesus thinks of the church, what Jesus has to say to the church. And let me emphasize that he's got a right to say it. Now, he is the mighty counselor. He is, uh, he is the, the foundation of the church. He is the Lord of the church. He's like a perfect bridegroom writing to his flawed bride, the church, for whom he gave his life. And unfortunately, despite the tremendous love that he has for his church, and that cannot be gainsaid, despite some of the good works that the church has done, he will mention, so you know, he's right to the Advent. I know your good works, I know you do this, but I have this against you. And he will go on, he will say, that's what I have against you. So despite his love of the church, and despite the good works, the church, uh, he is writing to a church that has been unfaithful to him, like a, a bridegroom writing to a wife that has been whom he loved and who has done some good things, but who has been unfaithful. And regardless of how, what, what kind of good works you've had, if your wife has been unfaithful, uh, it's painful. And he says, I know all. To each church, he say, I know your works. And, you know, uh, and, and that's, complete, that's constantly being repeated. I know your works. So every sermon seven churches people say, I know your works. Uh, and you know, he, he knows, he says that to you and me today. I know your works. I know your hearts. I know your secrets. I know your desire. And I have this to say to you. That's, that's the way you will, way you will approach it. Just imagine someone knowing everything about you, including your desire that you don't even tell your spouse about, your secrets that you don't even know about. It's something that you even hide from yourself. He knows it all. So, and he's getting ready to address that. We must take Jesus' words to the church seriously. They reveal again what he thinks of us, what he knows about us. Uh, they will be full of rebuke, warning, and also hope. And the church needs to listen uh, to this just as if this letter were put in your post office box when you go home church that you find in your Palestine. It's a letter from Jesus to the church. So the, all, all of that is uh, just an introduction to what we'll be looking at next two Sundays as Jesus speaks to the church. We have a couple minutes if you want to make some observations or objections. Frank, every one of these churches is gone now. Most of them without any physical trace at all. And there's certainly very few of them. Good Bible studies coming up, guys. I mean, we, we do. 
one on Thursday morning too. David, you remember that too? That's Sunrise Centers. I invite you to that. We have a full breakfast. Uh, and then we, what we do at Sunrise Centers is take a look at the scriptures coming up for Sunday. Uh, and then we'll take that and really work it over pretty good. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's what's fun. What are some others? Uh, you have. Then on Tuesday morning, mostly high guys, but there's everybody. Right. Yeah, and then Andrew Pearson is one for, for the women. Um, what what days? I don't have much. Great Thursday. Great Thursday lunch. Matthew. Matthew. Andrew Pearson is that one. But it, they'll all be in the leaflet next Sunday, so we have a great opportunity for Bible studies. And coming up, that's uh, that's some, some really great stuff that's happening in terms of Christian ed. Some of the things I can't wait to tell you more about that that, that I that I can't now because it hadn't been announced and to to uh, it hadn't been announced to the other people that are going to be taking part need to make some announcements uh, to their own people. But some exciting things going on here that in terms of Christian education, a lot of you see on Sunday mornings too. We have some just great stuff that's going to be going on Sunday mornings. Someone said, "I wish you wouldn't do that. It makes it too difficult." where you want to go on Sunday morning. It's like going to the, the movie at the summit or something. You see all the movies you want to go to. You got to pick one. You got to choose one. Most are recorded. Most are recorded. Most are recorded. 